1: Welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of today's podcast. And as a reminder to our listeners, you can subscribe to and rate this program on iTunes or Stitcher, where in addition to our website, newbooksinlatinostudies.com, all of our previous interviews may be streamed or downloaded for free. For today's program, I'm speaking with Peter Wade and Carlos Lopez Beltran, editors along with... Eduardo Restrepo and Ricardo Ventura Santos of Mestizo Genomics Race Mixture, Nation, and Science in Latin America, published by Duke University Press in 2014. Peter Wade is professor of social anthropology at the University of Manchester. His research focuses on the concepts of race, ethnicity, and gender in Latin America, and more particularly on black identity and social movements in Colombia. Carlos López Beltrán is a historian of science and senior researcher in the Instituto de Investigaciones Filosoficas Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México. His research specializes in the historical and philosophical study of the life sciences, with a particular focus on the notion of inheritance. Both of our guests have published extensively in their fields with numerous books, articles, essays, and awards attributed to their names. Uh, Carlos today joins us from Me- Mexico City, and Peter joins us from Manchester, England. I begin by asking them to tell us a little bit more about themselves, both their personal and professional backgrounds. First, we'll begin with Peter, and then move on to Carlos.
0: Okay. Um, well, I started um, by doing field work in Colombia on issues of race and racial discrimination, racism. And that has been race in Colombia and in Latin America generally has been the kind of guiding thread of, uh, of my studies. I also did a project about the social history of music in Colombia, uh, interested in particularly how, how racial meanings got attached to music in the, in the 20th century. And then uh, more recently, I started working with a colleague on uh, issues around genetics and assisted reproduction in Europe. So that was what sparked my interest in, in genomics. So then I came up with the idea of, um, of doing a project, a comparative project around genomics and nation and race in, in Latin America. And I knew that Carlos had already started working on those things. He was one of the first people I contacted to
1: collaborate on the project. Great, thank you. Carlos, a little bit about you yourself.
2: I, I started uh, off uh, studying biology and, and then I, I moved into the history and philosophy of biology. I did my PhD in England uh, and the, the subject of my research, early research was the concept of heredity. Then that, that uh, moved uh, on to uh, some interest in the, in the notion of race. I, I did my PhD in England. When I came back to Mexico, I got I got interested in uh, trying to to figure out um, how heredity and race had worked uh, uh, in the uh, Mexican scene, and and uh, eventually uh, I got interested uh, in more contemporary stuff. The other my first research was all historical, and uh, the genomic. Uh, projects, uh, the international genomics projects were were booming in in that time, so I I started doing uh, research in genomics in Mexico with a group of people at UNAM. That's when Peter Wade uh, contacted me uh, uh, to start this international collaboration, which suited us fine.
1: Great. Thank you for that, Carlos. Uh, Peter, I believe you were the impetus behind this project So will you explain how this project came about, Uh, that is, how you selected your team and how the project was conceptualized as an ethnographic study of genetic research labs in Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil?
0: Well, I should say, I mean, neither of us mentioned it, but Carlos and I knew each other from when he did his Ph.D. in Cambridge, and I was, at that time, uh, a postdoctoral fellow in Cambridge. So I already uh, was acquainted with him, and um, then I also knew that he'd been working recently on uh, genomics and genomic medicine and the, the Institute, uh, the National Institute for Genomic Medicine in Mexico. So I knew that he was working on those on those issues. And I became, as I said, I've been already interested in, in the relationship between race and genetics and uh, genetics and social life in general. So I came up with the idea of doing a comparative study. I also knew that uh, Ricardo Ventura Santos in Brazil had been working on these kinds of themes for uh, quite a while, and he'd already sent me some of his papers, so um, he was a, an obvious point of contact too. And then, of course, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I was the kind of the Colombia person in that uh, three-way comparison. So those were the three countries that uh, that attracted my attention, where I knew stuff had been going on around, and I knew people had been working on those sorts of issues. Then the way that the project came together, I mean, I tried various funding sources which you know did or didn't work and eventually the one that came through was the ESRC which is the British Economic and Social Research Council which is the government body that funds social social science research in the UK and they have quite an open attitude towards bringing bringing on board international uh, collaborators so it was quite easy to uh nominate uh, overseas academics these kind of you know co-applicants on 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 the project so that was the structure of the project was that uh, you know in each country there would be a a co-applicant so for Colombia because I was and I couldn't be the co-applicant because I was the principal applicant so I contacted um, somebody who I'd known for many years in Colombia an anthropologist called Eduardo Restrepo who wasn't working specifically on genomics but was interested in race and blackness and so on In Colombia, so yeah, I put together this this comparative project with a co-applicant in each country, uh, with me as the kind of the director of the the project, and then uh, contracted a a research associate, a postdoctoral fellow, to actually do the research in each country, and they worked closely with uh, Carlos and Ricardo and Eduardo, and then uh, the, the structure of the project also. Uh, allowed a local research assistant to be uh, hired on in each country to help the the um, the, the main researcher and and the, the local co-applicant. So that was the kind of the, the way the the project worked. And then each postdoctoral fellow did um, nine month field work. And then uh, you know we did a preparatory phase of a three three or four months where we all were all together in Manchester, reading stuff and thinking about how to do the project. Then each one went to their country and did did the actual field work, and then came back to the UK and, and, and wrote up.
1: Thank you. Wow. Well, this is certainly a fascinating project. And I'd like to talk a bit more about the driving questions behind your approach to the study, particularly how ideas about race, nation, and gender enter into the work of genetics laboratories. Uh, perhaps, Peter, would you like to begin? And then we'll move on uh, and have uh, Carlos at his thoughts.
0: And I think the main, the main point of interest was how concepts of race and nation, and as it turned out, also gender, although that wasn't something we were anticipating necessarily, but you know, uh, it's impossible to think about race without thinking about gender, especially in Latin America. Um, so it wasn't surprising that it cropped up. So the, the idea was to see how those concepts entered into the work that gen, uh, geneticists were doing around human human population diversity in Latin America. That was the kind of fundamental idea of the project. So, you know, in that, there wasn't a kind of a simple... uh, There wasn't an idea of a simple relationship between science, two sort of separate spheres called science and society. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, I mean, mean, that's one way of thinking about it, but that's not what we we wanted to do. Um, We wanted to look at how concepts... Of race and nation and gender, and specific concepts like, you know, negro, black, or indio, indigina, indigenous person, uh, or mestizo, especially, uh, and, and white, blanco, or branco, um, how those concepts entered into the construction of uh, genomic projects and how those concepts were represented in the way that geneticists uh, handled their data and reported their data. So that's what we were interested in.
1: Right, and, and, and Carlos, I'd, I'd like to have you explain, if you will, uh, a bit about how this this particular study uh, contributes to a field that I know you're very much involved involved in, which is you know the social studies of science. What Hello, particular uh, particular interventions? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh, what one uh, fascinating uh, aspect of, of this particular uh, project is that. People that, that uh, were gathered around it by, by Peter Wade and, and by Ricardo and Eduardo and me were coming from different backgrounds. Right. Uh, many anthropologists, but also social uh, students of science and, and myself, I'm, I'm a historian. And, and this uh, the diversity of, of disciplinary background uh, was really an asset. Uh, uh, we, we managed to really as, uh, uh, establish a common ground and, and, and yes, uh, uh, the, the historical aspects were very important uh, uh, to create a, a comparatory um, framework uh, from these three different countries, because although although each uh, country, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil, have very similar uh, population histories, uh, they, they, they are uh, a product of, of, of the coming together of, of peoples from Uh, three different origins, at least, uh, African, European, and uh, original American populations. Uh, Each one has a a set of particular uh, ideological and political arrangements around race and around mestizaje. And And so we wanted to to, uh, uh, really have both the historical and the contemporary frames uh, in place uh, before we could uh, begin to, to ask questions about how similar or how different uh, things worked in the space of genomics uh, in these three countries. And, and it, it was really uh, fascinating to see that the, 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 there was uh, a, a lot of uh, communication between the disciplinary languages, and, and we managed to to produce a work that that is relevant uh, for all of them.
1: Thank you for that uh, response. Uh, the book's introduction points out that notions of race, ethnicity, and gender operate differently across time and space and place. Again, the focal point of this study is Latin America, and in particular, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil, and how the unique histories of race mixture intersect with contemporary genetics research and popular discussions about it. Before we get into a discussion of your case studies, will you discuss the work of genetic scientists? That is, what is it that they do? What are their goals? And how has genomics research developed over the past 25 years or so? Uh, Peter, would you like to start us off? The gen- I mean,
0: genetic studies uh, started in, in Latin America, obviously, very early on. I mean, in the 1930s or, or, or you know, even before. And from the very beginning, Or at the very beginning, they were uh, sort of self consciously engaged in something that was generally called racial studies. They were trying to characterize different sorts of human beings in terms of their genetic makeup. And from the start, also in Latin America, there was a a strong interest in mixture, in how to measure mixture, um, how to calculate for mestizo populations, you know, what percentage of Uh, African ancestry they had, etc., or what percentage of European ancestry. So that was a a focus uh, of interest right from the start, just in its own terms. They they were interested in that in its own terms. But very quickly, those sorts of uh, there was there was also an interest in the relationship between genetics and medicine. So that's been Mm -hmm. kind of major driver for a lot of the work uh, around genetics and genomics. So a lot of what they're after, the geneticists, is to try and trace genetic variants that are linked to what they call, nowadays anyway, complex disorders. That is to say, Mm -hmm. disorders that have probably some genetic component, but it's unknown how much or exactly what it is. So things like heart disease, diabetes, uh, obesity, these kinds of, of conditions that have some genetic component probably, but also a a strong sort of environmental component. So there's a lot of money being invested into trying to track down what are the genetic variants that uh, predispose people towards, let's say diabetes or obesity or cardiovascular disease, um, uh, and how to then perhaps intervene in those genetic variants so that uh, you can create public uh, health policies that are directed towards Uh, genetic medicine that can perhaps be tailored to specific populations or even specific individuals uh, in terms of their uh, collective or individual genetic profile so that's what's driving a lot of the genetic medicine but those kinds of goals are are, those are the kind of ultimate the holy grail if you like that's what drives the whole enterprise right uh, especially in the last 10-15 years there's been a sort of you know significant rowing back from the promises that people were uh, making, let's say in the 1990s when you know um, uh, rapid sequencing sort of took off and people were able to generate uh, millions of, of, of megabytes of data or gigabytes of data you know from genomic experiments and so on. And people were suddenly, at that point in the 1990s, they were very optimistic about how they were going to crack everything. Um, you know and come up with solutions to these kinds of, of, of diseases etc and in the last you know 15-20 years suddenly geneticists have well, not suddenly but gradually geneticists have realized that things are a, a great deal more complex than that and that really they're a long way off from um, designing uh, effective genetic therapies that will really give the answers to these kinds of problems um, so in the meantime they continue to sample populations and to uh, characterize them in genetic terms. Um, and in the case of, of, of Latin American populations, there's still a continuous interest in defining their uh, genetic ancestry in terms of what percentage of them, Amerindian, African, and European right. ancestry they have. That's a kind of constant concern. Um so that, so that kind of whole scenario that I've just laid out defines a kind of global genomic science. All the geneticists all over the world are interested in solving those kinds of problems around medicine. Um, or indeed around, I mean, the other thing that, 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 uh, that the other driving force behind that is to try and work out how the world was populated. You know, going back into uh, ancient history. Um, to track the process of migration through which the, the whole world was populated, and you can use genomics to, to help you work that out to, as, a, as another source of data alongside archaeology and so on. So those are kind of big global genomic projects, medicine, uh, the peopling of the world, and so on. Now, within Latin America, there's, I mean, there's another, that's the international d- dimension of genomic. Uh, right. these, within Latin America, and not just Latin America, but elsewhere as well, there's also a kind of national dimension, which is that, you know, it is possible to say something about the, the population of your particular nation using these kinds of data, right, whether right. it's, you know, whether you want to talk about the United Kingdom or Brazil or Mexico or whatever. So, you know, these, these geneticists who are partaking in these international collaborations, they're publishing in English language journals that are, you know, internationally read and so on. They also have another side to their work which says something about, you know, what is Brazil? What is the Brazilian population like? What is Mexico? How can we characterize our our national population? So there's that interesting kind of tension between the global and the national. um, Right, right. Mm -hmm. We're kind of interested in to see, well, okay, what kind of narratives do these geneticists come up with about their particular nations?
1: Gotcha. Thank you. Carlos, anything that you want to add to... Yeah,
2: I think... uh, uh, Peter has pretty much summed up uh, the important uh, uh, general things. I add I, 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 I uh, something uh, about uh, the feeling, uh, a long-term feeling that uh, uh, Latin America has been uh, a kind of a natural experiment in terms of, of heredity and genetics since its uh, modern uh, history, and uh, and uh, especially when the genomic uh, revolution started. Uh, there was a feeling in, in most uh, geneticists in Latin America th- that they had the opportunity to hook up with, with uh, the world uh, development by, by, uh, by uh, addressing the, the, the local uh, uh, genetic diversity of human populations you know, in all these aspects that Peter was, was pointing out. The historical uh, population, original population of the Americas, how, how can we complement uh, the narratives we already have from historians or from archaeologists? And then, of, of course, the health issue, which, which as you know, uh, recently, uh, all these complex diseases like diabetes, uh, obesity, uh, hypertension, etc. have developed into, uh, a, a, have acquired epidemic proportions in Latin America and in, in, in countries like Mexico, and, and, and to try to, to use uh, the, 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 the particularities of, of, of Amerindian uh, genetic origins, for instance, uh, was seen as, as, as an opportunity once we had these genomic tools uh, to try to address this uh, very, very urgent health issues. So, so Latin American uh, geneticists and Mexican geneticists, in particular human geneticists, uh, uh, pretty much uh, uh, moved uh, into, into the scene with, 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 with these new tools and started using these traditional classific, classificatory notions for, for uh, uh, American populations, uh, mestizo, Amerindian, uh, black, et uh, and I And I, I think it also set the scene for people like us to pay attention uh, because it was an opportunity to really see science in action. Uh, And and this uh, complex interaction between uh, uh, identity notions like Mestizo uh, and uh, scientific notions like uh, genetic admixture, uh, coming together and producing uh, uh, interesting uh, results.
1: Right. Uh, Thank you. You know, as Peter mentioned, some of the initial promises of genetic science. It reminded me of a point made in the book's introduction regarding how these ideas are transmitted to the public. And in particular, one of the promises of genetic science was that it would move society beyond more traditional notions uh, and racialized discourses of people and cultures. But one of the key findings of your study actually challenges this assumption. Will you discuss how the findings of genomic science Uh, are transmitted to the public sphere in ways that reinforce more traditional notions of race, ethnicity, and culture that essentially view or rank groups according to a racial hierarchy. Uh, Perhaps, Carlos, would you like to begin?
2: Yes, I I think this is part of of, of one of the the things that were very interesting to us when we started the project. And uh, actually, there was a second phase to the project uh, after we did the laboratory studies and all the... Interpretations about uh, how scientists uh, were interacting with the more ge- more general uh, 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 notions uh, of re- racialized notions. We, we, we the second uh, part of the project uh, we addressed uh, what was going on with the publics and how the publics were receiving this this genomic uh, uh, based information. Uh, 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 in terms of, of uh, uh, racialized categories, and and so we did also research as, uh in, in with uh, groups uh, in in Brazil and Colombia, and and uh, Mexico with, with the publics that, that were actually consuming in different ways, uh, uh, interacting with these notions, and and uh, th- there's a recent issue in, in social studies of science. Uh, uh the journal where, where our group also published this aspect of, of the research and it is it, it, i mean the, this is one of the issues where the diversity really comes up uh, because it, uh, in mexico uh the public uh, uh, uh uses the genetic information in, in really very very uh matter-of-fact way that it, it chimes with with how people see uh, themselves and, 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 and conceive their origins and their bodies, this, this notion of the Mestizo and Mestizaje as being really what uh, makes a Mexican, uh, uh, is, only, is, is somehow being uh, translated or, or re-conceptualized re, uh, in terms of genes, or in terms of, of, of genes of, with different origins, and and people uh, are not very anxious about uh, what uh, this is uh, doing to their identities or to their histories whereas in uh, Brazil and Colombia things are a bit different probably okay. Peter yeah, that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah can I I mean I'll, I'll can I chip in there Yes yeah. please um, i mean one of the things that um, you know if you read the literature about genetics and public science and so on one of the things that people That academics are saying is that, you know, the whole of society or Western society anyway is undergoing a process of geneticization whereby Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, increasingly thinking of their identities and their relationships and their senses of belonging and, and history and so on using genetic idioms and using genetic data. Right. So, for example, you know the fact the the fact that you can take a swab from the inside of your mouth and put it in a in an envelope and send it off to a, a DNA ancestry testing company exactly uh, right. in the USA and pay three four hundred dollars and they'll tell you about your your ancestry apparently anyway
1: mm-hmm. uh, you <laughs> know, this,
0: this kind of thing. Um, so you know, and and, that, and there's a whole series of debates around whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether that leads to kind of more uh, reductionist or determinist ways of thinking, or whether you know, etc. So that was one thing that we were interested in, and what we found was that you know that the data, I mean, the, the people we were working with, you know, it wasn't very clear. That trend wasn't very clear, and the reason is that quite a lot of the literature that focuses on that process of geneticization looks at very particular kinds of data they talk to you often anyway people who have a vested interest in genetics so they talk to patient associations that is to say people who've got, who are you know who, who suffer from particular conditions that are clearly connected to genetics so you know you talk to them and of course they're going to be very clued up about genetics and they're going to think in terms of genetics because it's affecting their lives mm-hmm. or you talk to people who have taken those DNA ancestry tests so again you're talking to a group of people who already have who are already invested in that way of thinking or the possibility of that way of thinking about themselves or you look at, uh, representations you look at i don't know csi and things like that and you know you you look at the media and the way that the, uh, genetics are represented in, in the public sphere and then you sort of extrapolate and think oh well because it's being represented so much and there's so much talk uh, and, and sort of media stuff about genetics it must be having some kind of impact on you know the public in general but when you talk to people who don't have a particularly this vested interest in, in genetics, who are just kind of ordinary students at University in Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, or whatever, um, you know, you don't find quite so much concern with genetics. They may or may not use a genetic idiom to talk about the diversity of their country or, you know, particular problems they might have about in health or their family health and stuff like that. But it's not clear, you know, there's a much more uneven uh, process of, uh, of, of geneticization. So I think that was a, an important finding for us.
1: Certainly. Uh, so let's move on to a discussion of the case studies in the book. Uh, the first three chapters set the historical context for the ways in which ideas about race, gender and nation have operated in Mexico, uh, Colombia and Brazil. Uh, the, then the following chapters, 4, 5, and 6, present the findings of the ethnographic research conducted in those countries, uh, particularly in the genomics uh, research labs there. Perhaps we can start with the Mexican Genome Diversity Project in uh, Mexico's National Institute for Genomic Medicine. Uh, Carlos, will you explain some of the key findings of your team, and particularly, let's... Uh, Maybe we can talk about the way natural cultural ideas about populations, regions, and notions of biogeographic ancestry find their way into defining research agendas and the selection of samples and the interpretation and presentation of data.
2: Well, this uh, 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 genetic diversity, human diversity project uh, that uh, in Mehen uh, developed uh, in the early part of the century uh, after uh, 2004 to 2000, 2009 uh, really uh, had, had a, a, a very basic uh, aim that was to, to, to create a, a kind of a map or a, or a, or a d- database of a, a, a variation, genetic variation in human uh, groups uh, within the Mexican territory. It was uh, 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 presented uh, publicly a bit more grand- in a bit more grandiose way as being the, the Mexican genome project or the Mexican mestizo genome project, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that created a, a lot of confusion in my in my opinion. Uh, uh, but the, the main the main uh, results point to, to a, 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 a mixed population, uh, uh, so they managed to, to quantify uh, the percentage of African, uh, <clears throat> Amerindian, and European uh, origins uh, of, of different, uh, and they regionalize that. So in, in different regions within Mexico, you have uh, a bit higher percentage of African presence uh, in the coast, for instance, and, and you have also a gradient uh, moving from north to south uh, in terms of, of the amount of Amerindian uh, 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 genetic variants, and and the the other result was was, was that there is a a, a, a lot, well not, not a lot, but quite a bit of 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 uh, particular variants distributed within the Mexican territory that, that uh, could be helpful uh, to, uh, if 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 your aim is to to uh, try and and uh, do association studies related to to uh, medical conditions. Uh, so, so that that was basically what what uh, the, the, uh, was doing in this early pe- period. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and after that, there's, there's been a, a series of other uh, population uh, genomic researches uh, 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 at different scales, at more local scales uh, uh, within regions in Mexico, uh, and uh, and more broader scales in the in, in Latin American uh, dimension. And, and basically, I mean, uh, the, the 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 set uh, the stage is set for for a lot of very uh, important uh, res- medical research, I think. But but uh, the, the, as Peter was pointing out uh, at the beginning, uh, a lot of it is still uh, in, in, in standing there as as a promise. So geneticists have a lot of work to do still.
1: Right, and. Um Sticking on, you know, on this, the Mexican case study, what is it that, that your researchers you know, particularly found in, in relation to your project?
2: Well, we found that, that uh, first there was a, 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 a very uh, uh, clear distinction uh, within, within the frames that the, the scientists were using between uh, uh, Mexican population in general as, as a mestizo population and the indigenous populations as, as a non-Mestizo population, which right. uh, in genetic terms, uh, it, it's, it, uh, it's a presupposition that it's turning out to be a bit too sharp. So the Mexican population is not so sharply in, uh, genetically split between Indios and Mestizos, but, but this uh, uh, more uh, uh, social and, and uh, ideological idea of, of the split was playing a strong uh, role at, at the beginning in how scientists were classifi- classifying their, their samples and how they were looking for special markers of indigeneity uh, right, and, right. Uh, and things like that. So that that was an interesting finding.
1: No, and that's I mean that's that's really a a key, a key finding, right? And it uh, really undergirds the the purpose of of, of this project, which is to. Again, understand how how and examine how those you know these cultural notions, uh, particularly of, of you know classificatory systems of, you know, according to race and ethnicity are are brought into the laboratory right and so this exactly. one is an example of one of them right the the, the the national, you know, conception uh, or the the conception of conception of Mexico as a, as a nation of mestizos, right? That's a, a cultural, you know, and, and national project. That's very very much a product mostly mostly of the twentieth century, but late nineteenth, early twentieth century uh, post revolutionary type thing. But uh, and uh, and as you mentioned here, you know, so so the the, the simple classifying or looking for right indige- indigenous DNA markers. Right, yeah. Is is something that's brought into the last of the lab, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the the paper in the book uh, uh, written by Bibet Garcia de is a very nice example of how how uh, you can move from the the, the you know the, the blood sample to the molecular level and then to the uh, uh, Are you still with me?
1: Yes, we're still here. Oh,
2: yeah. Sorry and then to the more uh, abstract level of, of, the, of the bytes and, and the, you know, the, the databases. And, 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 and you carry along and redefine what, what a mestizo is in each stage. And she, she, she does a wonderful work of describing that, that thing.
1: Yeah. Right. And what I find particularly really fascinating, fascinating about this, I mean, about the, you know, our cultural social world, you know and how it and how it intersects and is brought into say in this case like a, a genetic research lab, lab is that i think in in outside of the lab the laboratory uh, when we 're talking about genetics testing and when people people as peter mentioned are are sending in DNA samples you know the the idea, idea is that their their expectation is is that there is in that swab that there 's something that you know once it 's put in there right put into Whatever that swab is put into, right? Mm. That there is some type of commuter, commuter, computer formulation or something that's going to extract, extract, and tell them exactly how much of a particular ethno-racial group that they are, are, right? And that that itself is, you know, a a, a cultural, you know, presumption, you know, supposition, if you will, mm. that is, that is not necessarily intended, you know, a, in the lab itself, self, but. You know something that happens when these two worlds you know start to merge and merge, and people outside of the labs try to understand uh, what the 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 purpose of this research is and how useful it can be, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that's true. If if you're talking about in in a personal ancestry testing,
1: right? You
0: know, there's all kinds of. uh, I mean, that wasn't what we were particularly interested in because that's not um, uh, a widespread practice in Latin America. You know, you don't have these companies. Personal company, uh, personal ancestry testing companies that will tell you about your your ancestry. You have paternity testing and things like that. Um, but yeah, so you know, but those kinds of personalised ancestry tests are there's lots of qualifications that one has to take into account around the kind of data that they give you. So, I mean, I think it's probably well known that, you know, for Winfrey, for example, you know, when she tried one company, they told her that she was, you know, had a particular relationship with some African ethnic group, Zulu or whatever it was, I can't remember now. And then she tried another company and they told her something rather different. So, you know, it, all these companies use their own databases, which are proprietary databases that, um, you know, that, that only they have access to. And because human beings share the vast majority of their uh dna and because the the markers that are associated with a given ancestry are you know that are used to mark let's say african ancestry it's not those markers aren't unique to africans they're just a bit right. more frequent amongst africans so exactly. it's all you know statistical statistical calculations that um allow allow you to make inferences about where, you know, your ancestors came from. And you can get lots of different answers depending on uh, on how you do those calculations and what kind of algorithms you use and what kind of databases you use.
1: Right. So this can lead us into a discussion of the Brazilian case study, which focuses on trying to find or resurrect, as the title of the chapter states, an extinct indigenous population in southern Brazil. Peter, will you explain the findings here?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was this was of interest because I mean, let me set the context for Brazil more more generally. Um, If in in Mexico one of the main things that came out was a kind of genomic reiteration of the distinction between the mestizo majority and the indigenous minority, Mm -hmm. in Brazil Mm -hmm. the main message that came across was the idea that uh, race meant nothing. Right. you know, you couldn't divide up the Brazilian population um, in terms of these kinds of broad categories of indigenous, black, because all Brazilians were mixed. That was the kind of message that, especially one, a very well-known Brazilian geneticist called Sergio Pena, was you know was very insistent about. Now, the the project uh, that we looked that uh, the researcher in question, which was Michael Kent, uh, looked at was a project that was focused on one particular region of Brazil in the, in the far south, which is where there's a lot of there was a lot of European immigration and so people are generally speaking sort of fairly white in in, in Brazilian terms and are often you know, particular regions where they're very proud of their um, european ancestry and, and so on um, but at the same time w- one of the main things that came out of the Brazilian genetic work, not just that chapter, but in general, was that all Brazilians, no matter if they consider themselves white or not, have, the chances are they'll have some kind of indigenous and or African ancestry in their, in their DNA, probably in the, what's called the mitochondrial DNA, which is a particular type of DNA that you inherit only through the maternal line and mm-hmm. that remains unchanged uh, as it goes down through the generations um so that was a kind of you know even white brazilians are mixed that was the kind of message therefore you know race means nothing therefore you know white brazilians who think that they're superior because they're they're white actually they are also mixed so you know there's no reason for them to feel superior this was the kind of message that the geneticists were trying to get across so what was shown in the case of the Chahua of this, this particular uh, southern uh, brazilian population um, Population or study of the population was that they it was you you could find these kinds of in, indigenous um, ancestral markers, and in this case, they were linked to a particular uh, indigenous group that had disappeared called mm-hmm. the Chahu, um who were famed as kind of warriors. You know, they were they were indigenous group that didn't exist anymore because they'd been very you know rebellious and they'd resisted colonization. They'd, uh, you know, shrugged off the yoke of the colonial Portuguese, etc. There was this big sort of story about them, the warrior image of the Chahua. So in this case, you know, these people were kind of admitting, yeah, OK, we have an indigenous ancestry. But actually, you know, the actually the kind of indigenous ancestry we have is, you know, quite valuable. And it looks, looks, you know, it's, it's, a, some, it's something we could valorize. And uh, mm-hmm. accept as part of our history, because it talks about rebellion and and, uh, and and uniqueness and so on. So that was what we came out of that chapter.
1: Thank you for for, for sharing that, um, Carlos. Did you have anything particularly on the Brazilian case, well, study, case study that that you wanted to bring up?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. one is that uh, Brazil could be uh, seen as a relative exception in this. Lack of interest in Latin America in personal ancestry testing. uh, It's uh, the only region, as far as we know, where uh, there are uh, 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 some people willing to to pay money to private companies in order to find out uh, things about uh, their identity or about their origins uh, with genetic tools. Whereas in Mexico or Colombia or other parts, if you ask people, if they were willing if they were curious about their genetic their genetics and, and their relation to their ancestry, they would say they, they are, but not as as curious as to be willing to pay for a test. So so that's one thing about Brazil. The other is that uh, the, uh, the 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 one uh, uh, contentious. Uh, uh, a arena where, where uh, genetics uh, is acting in Brazil is a is a arena of of uh, 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 the policies of uh, of uh, how, how do you call that, Peter? Uh, affirmative action. Uh, affirmative action hmm. uh, in relation to the black population. So there there is a uh, genetics is being yielded as, as a as a tool as a, an argument. Uh, for, for, uh, by by uh, people in both sides of the dispute, because uh, if people are, uh, in Brazil, as, as Peter was saying, uh, are really all, they are all mixed, they are more or less uh, have uh, different percentages of the same ingredients. There is no point in trying to to uh, separate uh, or, or to make distinctions between the uh, black populations and the rest of the populations. And,
1: and so
0: that, that, that's a scene where genetics is also crucial. Yeah. Right. And Perhaps I could and, just uh, add a little bit there. Please do. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, the, the, Carlos is right. This was a, an area where genetic data were deployed in the most obviously political way in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, people who were against particularly uh, racial quotas in, in higher education in Brazil, which were brought in, from about 2002, 2003, um, and cre- created a huge debate in Brazil about whether it was right, uh, morally right, uh, to create uh, quotas for black students in the higher education. So the people who were against that um, used these kind of genetic data uh, to argue that, well, you know, blacks don't exist as a, as a biological category Therefore, they shouldn't exist as an object of social policy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, the, you know, uh, y- that was the, the most obvious kind of wielding or deployment of genetic data for overtly political purposes that we saw. Uh, and that wasn't just, you know, geneticists. I mean, one, one or two geneticists were making that, those kinds of arguments, but mainly it was policymakers and other kinds of commentators who were using these this, this genetic data to make those kinds of arguments
1: Right, and that illustrates a point made in the introduction and conclusion regarding the multicultural projects that are at work in each of these nations to varying degrees so I'd, I'd also like to return to something Peter mentioned just a few minutes ago regarding the role gender plays in these studies Peter, will you explain a bit more your team's findings on this?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it shouldn't have been unexpected really because, you know, it's kind of obvious that the process of mestizaje, you know, the process of race mixture, you know, is, is involved, must involve gender relations because it involves people having sex with each other. Um, so, you know, it shouldn't have been really a surprise to us. But what we, what we did find was that, it, you know, it, again and again and again in the genetic studies, um, The genesis said, well, the data shows, especially the data from the mitochondrial DNA and the Y-chromosome DNA, which is inherited down the paternal line, um, shows that uh, the original encounters were between European men and indigenous women, or in the case of Brazil, especially African women. So the data shows that, Um, because in the the Y-chromosome DNA, you can find lots of European markers, And in the mitochondrial DNA, you can find lots of indigenous and, uh, in the case of Brazil, African markets. So, I mean, those are the data. You can't argue with those data. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were quite selective. You you can find samples in Colombia, in Brazil, uh, you know, I'm not sure, in Mexico, but certainly in Colombia and Brazil. You can find samples where the mitochondrial DNA uh, is, is dominated by um, European uh, mm-hmm. uh, markers, for example. And even more so, you can find cases in the y, where the Y chromosome, you can right. find samples where African and indigenous Y uh, markers are very common, even the majority in the Y chromosome DNA. So, you know, the, the overall, there's quite a lot of variety. Nevertheless, the way that the geneticist talked about it, Sort of ironed out that variety, and they, all they said was the data shows this consistent pattern of European men right. having having had sex with indigenous and African women at the beginning of you know the colonial period.
1: Right.
0: So, you know, what they were doing was simply reiterating a very well known story. This was a you know a very well known, well rehearsed narrative about the formation of Latin American nations was that, you know, the conquistadores came over, they had sex with indigenous women, they had sex with African slaves, and herein was the birth. So, the geneticists were uh, reiterating this very well-known story uh, about, you know, conquistadores coming over and having sex with indigenous women and slave women, uh, and creating the mestizo nation, etc. Like I was saying, you know, the the majority of the data did indeed tell that kind of story, but there were other significant instances where a different story was going on because what 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 that story uh, what, what what the kind of narrative that story creates was that only European men had the kind of sexual agency hmm. you know indigenous men and African men you know weren't to, had no agency in that process they weren't participating in the formation of the nation and so on and then also it, this, it one of the implications was that indigenous and African women were totally kind of passive. Mm-hmm. They were totally just receivers of European men's attentions and so on. And also the kind of language in which they described the, this process completely erased the kind of violence, the coercion, the rape, uh, all, all the other kinds of things that surrounded the actual social relationships that were going on, not just during the colonial period, but, early colonial period but during the later colonial period and thereafter you know all they did was talk about the introgression of european genes into the gene pool that kind of thing without uh, acknowledging the the violence and the and the coercion that went on around that exactly. so they ended up kind of you know um, reproducing a kind of conservative notion of what
2: the nation was and how it was formed
1: thank you yes carlos you had a few yes, you just to just
2: read? a uh, just a compliment to that is I think this is uh, this uh, uh, part of the research in Latin America that Peter was describing, really shows uh, uh, why uh, uh, Latin America has uh, very interesting aspects uh, for uh, uh, to reveal in, in the interaction between between techniques genetic techniques, particular genetic techniques and, and ideological frameworks because if, if you look at it uh, both the Y chromosome and, and the mitochondrial chromosome are, 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 are you know, very small amounts of, of the human uh, genetic information that have uh, peculiarities uh, that, that, uh, that allow for inferences, very peculiar inferences that, that, that can tell you things about a uh, uh, very remote past, and, and I can tell you very little about what happened in between. Uh, 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 but as, as it resonates, uh, the, 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 the narrative that you can, can construct with uh, these techniques resonates with, with the highly uh, ingrained uh, uh, prejudice or notions, then they kind of, of build up uh, uh, or, or a retelling of, of these founding myths of the uh, uh, Amerindian woman uh, being uh, raped or being kind of, of uh, incorporated, uh, uh, either either aggressively or, or passively uh, within the macho uh, Spanish uh, <coughs> conquista, and 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 this is very similar to what happens. Uh, with, with other techniques like mixture techniques. Uh, genetics is full of these uh, inferential structures that depend in, 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 in very peculiar, particular uh, uh, analytic settings and, and experimental settings. And, and, and uh, for some reason, uh, Latin America tends to... Uh, uh, the Latin American scene t- t- tends to, to be, be very adequate to uh, interact in this, uh, I don't know how to call it, questionable uh, way, but very, very interesting way.
1: Great, thank you both for explaining that a bit more. Before we conclude, is there another finding or two that either of you feel should be brought to the attention of our audience before we wrap up? Um, yes, I think there's the one. I mean, uh, there's a general
0: point, which is that um, the relationship between genomics and the representation of the nation and the kind of turn towards multiculturalism that has occurred in Latin America uh, since the 1990s so all over Latin America since the 1990s there's been a kind of an official recognition that the, the countries are multicultural plurinational you know whatever word one wants to use and there have been legislative reforms that have recognised uh, land rights for indigenous and, and Afro-descendant people in very uneven and varied ways and so on um, so what the geno- you know in, in that sense the kind of genomic representations of the nation are quite interesting because there's a kind of dual a dual effect on the one hand these genomic representations of the nation separate out indigenous people uh, afro descendant people and then the rest which are mestizos generally so in that sense they're kind of reproducing the multiculturalist version of the nation which is yeah we're, we're you know we're a mestizo nation but we also have these black and indigenous minorities who we have to uh, take you know recognize and acknowledge and protect uh, and give rights to and so on on the other hand the geneticists were also saying okay well we have these minority populations you know uh which uh, but what we really are is a mestizo Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the truth of our national identity. We are mestizo. So, you know, okay, for the last 20, maybe 30 years, we've been preoccupied with these ethnic minorities. Um, We recognize their culture. We recognize their land rights or or not. You know, there's there's a lot of variety here. Um, And for 30 years, we've been preoccupied with this multiculturalism, which is really about minorities. You know, that's what multiculturalism is really talking about, just the minorities. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, really what we are, we should remember that really what we are is mestizos. That's what we are. So, the genomic representation was a very powerful re-is, rather, a very powerful recentering of the idea that we are mestizos.
2: I, I'd like to add to that, that uh, probably uh, a consequence of what Peter has just said is that mestizo is no longer a national uh, identity uh, classificatory notion, It's more like a plurinational. So in the case of Mexico, one thing that that was obvious is that this uh, uh, aim of some Mexican geneticists of of having a national uh, uh, research of the national genomic uh, uh, genetic variants uh, uh, was due to a kind of failure because a, 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 a high percentage of Mexicans are now crossing the border or are now living uh, in the United States, and there's a lot of research being done in the United States with those populations that are being classified in different ways as Latino and, and Hispanic. And, 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 and so, so the real scene of research now in this, for these racial racialized categories is more international or transnational, that really, uh, I mean, a nation cannot contain the, the genomic variants that uh, it would wish to contain.
1: Great, and thank you both for adding those thoughts. What we'd like to do as we finish up uh, traditionally on New Books and Latino Studies is, is ask each of you to tell us what it is you're currently working on, uh, what new projects you have. So, uh, Peter, perhaps we'll begin with you, and then Carlos.
0: Um, yeah, for so the last couple of years I've been working on, um, I've had a kind of research Professorship, which has given me some time to write. So, I've been working on a book, a kind of single authored book, which really brings together all the, di- the diverse products from this project. So, not just the collected, vol- I mean, we, you know, the, the book we're talking about today, Mestizo Genomics, was one product. Then, Carlos mentioned uh, the special issue of a journal of uh, social, su- um, social studies of science, which came out in December last year. And then there have been lots of different uh, journal articles that have, you know, appeared independently in in journals. So what I've been working on is a kind of uh, synthesis of uh, all this stuff into um, a single book um, written by myself, which is also going to come out with Duke University Press probably next year, which is called um, Degrees of Mixture, Degrees of Freedom. Uh, So that's what I've been working on. And also I've got a new project starting in... um, in January, which is actually on a different theme. It's about uh, the ethnography of anti racist organizations in, in four Latin American countries Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, and this time we added Ecuador. So that's what I've been doing.
1: Wonderful, thanks. Thanks. Uh, Carlos?
2: Well, uh, I've been continuing uh, some collaboration with my colleague Vivet uh, Garcia Deister, who, who is, was part of the project as, as a postdoc we've been writing a series of papers on the mestizo as a, a scientific uh, object uh, in uh, trying to uh, go through the different periods of mexican uh, history now, now now we are doing uh, some some research and we're writing on the uh, on the 20th century and uh, i've also been working a little bit on on the spanish translation of of uh, Mestizo Genomics, which is due to appear in the Fondo de Cultura Economica uh, mm. uh, during the second half of, of this year. It, it should be presented in the Feria Internacional del Libro de Guadalajara. So we, we, that's something that is also soon uh, to appear. Yeah, there, there's going to be a, a, a Spanish version, and it will hopefully circulate in all Latin America. And uh, well, and I'm also uh, kind of uh, going back to some uh, older research that I left aside for, uh, during the, the works for this period on, on heredity and, and, and uh, race in, in Mexico in 18th and 19th century.
1: Oh, wonderful. All three of those projects sound just great. And again, I would just like to thank each of you, uh, you know, Peter and Carlos, for taking time out of your busy schedules, for uh, coordinating uh, them with me across continents. Again, Peter joining us from Manchester, England, and Carlos from Mexico City. I appreciate your time so much, and thanks again for the discussion.
2: Thank you, David, for, for inviting us. It was really wonderful.
1: Yes, thank you, David. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of today's podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Peter Wade and Carlos López Beltrán, co-editors along with Eduardo Restrepo and Ricardo Ventura Santos of Mestizo Genomics, Race Mixture, Nation, and Science in Latin America published by Duke University Press in 2014. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you may send me an email to newbooksinlatinostudies at gmail.com, or you may uh, look for me on Twitter at DJ Gonzo, PhD. You may also follow our social media channels on Twitter for New Books in Latino Studies or also Facebook. And we invite you, of course, to comment in, uh, on this podcast via iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks again.